right, do not miss camp. Don't miss camp. You wouldn't want to miss camp, right? All right. <laughs> Camp's the best. It's absolutely the best. I try to pretend like I'm still young and go to camp every year. Thanks, Clara. I appreciate that. Oh, man. It's good to see you all today. What a day to be in the house of the Lord. Man, it's so good. You know, the, thanks to Washington, we still would desire to be indoors uh, this time of year. And so uh, it's just good to have you. If you're new with us, I'm glad to see you here. Welcome. Uh, just jump on in, be a part of what God's doing here. It's a great place to be, and we're just happy to see you, happy to have you here. Uh, and there's a lot that's going on right now in our world and in our community. And, uh, it, you know, life is an interesting thing because it's, uh, it's challenging, isn't it? And there's amazing times, there's highs and there's lows. And, um, you know, this Memorial Day weekend, think about those who given their life for our country. And there's a, there's a sobering reality to that. I think about uh, the recent school shooting, there's a sobering reality. And as Christians, uh, we have a role to play. And that our main role to play is to go to the Lord and to, to pray for those people who have lost those loved ones. So uh, I want to just do that right now before we before we get into the, the word this morning. So, Lord, we, we bring before you our, our cares and our burdens, Lord. We, we pray for those right now who have lost loved ones, Lord, whether it was recently over this last week through tragedy, Lord God, or whether it was in, in wars in years past, Lord God, and that remembrance, Lord, is still there. Lord, we pray that you would comfort the hearts of those, Lord God, comfort communities, comfort uh, all those places, Lord God, where we hurt. Lord, as we're going to study today, Lord Jesus, you are with us in our hurts. You are with us in those places of our pain. And so, Lord, we bring them before you today, Lord God. We lift our world up to you, Lord God, this dark world, this place, uh, this world, Lord God, that is, uh, has dealt with so much that we see darkness all around us, Lord God. I pray that as your people that we would be a light in this world, in this dark place. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be always lifted toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to talk about a new and living way today, that Jesus made a way, that Jesus does something that, that no one has ever done before, and it's going to be exciting. Uh, kind of like other things that someone has never done before in Ording is won a state lacrosse championship. That's pretty awesome. We have any players here this morning, or are they all like passed out? Oh, Josh is working in kids. All right, our our faithful goalie is in kids ministry today. But man, there there's a lot of kids here who go to this church, and I'll have to call them and ask them why they didn't come today. Uh, maybe they're just passed out and sore and bruised. And uh, but man, what an exciting what an exciting thing! First state championship for Ording Lacrosse. So uh, if you see any of those guys, congratulate them. If you see any of their parents, just give them a pat on the back for showing up to a lot of games in a lot of places. So how exciting. All right, well, let's, let's get into the Word. We're, in, we're studying through Hebrews uh, most of this year, and we're looking at this letter to the early Christians uh, that were Jews, the Jewish Christians. And so we're looking at a church in Rome, and we're, we're studying about what it is that they were dealing with. Uh, I was thinking in this message uh, you know, we go through difficult times, and as we just prayed through, like, going through these, these difficult things that we walk through in, as humanity, uh, I know for me, I've walked through some really difficult things. Some of you have walked through some difficult things, maybe that I can't even imagine. 
And as we walk through those hard times in life, have you ever had someone with really, really good intentions come up to you and, and just kind of put their arm on your shoulder and say, I, just, I know what you're going through? And in your mind, you're thinking like, yeah, no, you don't. Not a chance. Has that ever happened to anybody? Where there's just like this good intention person. I mean, they're just, they just mean the best. But, but as they're talking and they're trying to relate, you, you're just looking into their eyes and you think, you have no clue what I'm going through right now. You, you, don't, you don't have an idea. Like you couldn't have possibly experienced this level of pain. And the, and the truth is, is that most people probably don't really know what that pain was like. They don't really know. Maybe they walked through something different, or maybe you lost someone that was so, so, so important to you. And they're like, you know, I lost my dog last year, and you just want to punch him in the face. You know? You know what I'm talking about? It, it, you, you don't get the depth of it. There's something, about, there, there's something that we can share in the sense of walking through these times of life that are difficult, but there's specific things that maybe we just don't get about everyone else. And, and people are just trying to be nice. And, and you know, people are just trying to say, I care. They're trying to have compassion. They're trying to have empathy. And they're just looking for any way to identify with your pain. And I'm sure we're all guilty of doing this to someone else, just saying, I get it. I so get it. When in the reality, we don't. We're just trying to say, look, I care about you. I identify with your pain. But then uh, every once in a while, along comes somebody who really does get it. Or you begin to talk and you begin to share stories and you realize like you've walked through an experience that is so similar and you can begin to connect hearts with that person. You can begin to have these conversations and it's, it's like a breath of fresh air in a sense, even though a lot of times it's in the midst of sorrow to go, man, someone really gets it. They really get me. They really get what I'm walking through. And, and you can be raw and you can be honest because they just know. They just know. Have you ever met someone like that who's been in that situation that you've been in? Well, today as we continue this series in the New and Living Way, we're going to discover that Jesus is one of those people, that he just gets it, that he knows, that he understands. And the, the author of Hebrews is going to begin to lay out uh, a thesis, really, in these chapters to come about who Jesus is and how he fulfills everything that is ever needed for us. And he begins today by talking about Jesus, the one who comes, the one who comes in those times of our need, those ones who comes with compassion, who really just gets it, who's not just some big unrelatable God out there in the sky, but that he understands what you're walking through. He understands the human experience. So let's dig into this new and living way. This new and living way, as we started last week, we talked about if you missed that message Download our church app, go to our YouTube page, find our website somehow, some way, and listen to that message titled New and Living Way. And that is really the centrality of this sermon series. The, the idea here is, is that we have access to the presence of God. Aren't you glad about that? We have access to the presence of God. So last week we looked at the most holy place, the holy of holies, that we today can be brought into the presence of God. And so the, the, the series that follows, the sermons that follow, are really all about how Jesus brings us into the presence of God, how he brings us to that place. So go and catch up on that one. But we, we have access to the presence. And in the minds of the Jewish believers who had, who had been raised in a system of the law, the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, 
in their minds, they're thinking, okay, if I'm going to go to the presence of God, I need a priest that's going to bring me there. I'm going to need a high priest who has access to the presence of God. And so we begin to look at Jesus, who is this high priest, who brings us to this holy, holy place. And the author of Hebrews is making a very bold statement here in, in the middle of Hebrews. And, and we're, I believe, here chapter 5 today, chapter 4 and 5. A very bold statement. And he's saying that this new and living way is stewarded by a brand new high priest, and that is Jesus. Now keep in mind, they've been raised for, for centuries, and they've heard the stories of their ancestors of these high priests who would lead the people who would lead God's people. And there's a problem in the minds of these Jewish Christians, as the author of Hebrews writes. They've come to know Jesus. And, and the author of Hebrews has referred now for a couple times previously to this, of Jesus as this high priest. But there's just a problem, and that is that Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He wasn't a Levite. He didn't meet the most basic, necessary requirement to be a high priest. And that was to be from the tribe that Aaron came from. How in the world could Jesus be a high priest? So, so let's look quickly because uh, most of us aren't Jewish Christians. And so we haven't been raised on the ancestry of the Israelites and the tribes of Israelites. Some of you know this, but just in case you don't, we're going to just take a really quick look. If you go all the way back and we look at Aaron and Moses, does anyone recognize those names? Hear those names? All right. So, so Moses led the Israelites out of slavery into, the, into freedom. And Aaron, his brother, became the very first high priest of Israel. And now Aaron was the great, I think, great-grandson, yes, great-grandson of Levi. Now Levi was one of the 12 sons of Israel, right? 12 sons of Jacob. And so this was the Israelite tribes. And each tribe had special... Uh, responsibilities and roles. And the tribe of Levi, the Levites, their responsibility was to serve in the tabernacle and the temple in the priestly order. And so all the priests of Israel had to be born into this family line. It had to be born, an amber alert maybe, it's all right. It's going to hit everybody's phone, it's all right. It's just let it happen. It's all right. What's our Amber Alert today? Yakima, who's missing? Does that have a description of a child or no? All right, let's pray. That's important. Lord God, we come before you right now. Lord, as we get these Amber Alerts, Lord God, on our phone, Lord, for a purpose that we can keep our eyes open. But God, we, we, uh, we Lord God, also know that your ears are open to your people as we pray. And so, Lord God, whatever the situation is right now, whatever child is in, uh, in maybe in danger, Lord, we ask right now that you come intercede. And Lord, that you would put your, your covering over this child's life right now, Lord God, that this child would be spared from any trauma or these children or whoever's in the situation, that you would spare them from trauma right now. In Jesus' name, we pray that this situation would be uh, found out and diffused and discovered, Lord God, and that these children, Lord God, would would have an experience right now with you, Jesus, that they know that the Almighty God is watching over them and covering them, Lord God. And that they would see that. It would be a testimony of their life of what you did in this very moment. And so, Lord God, we ask that you come intercede in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Whenever you get one of those on your phone, you should be, we should be doing this exact thing. All right, church, we are to go to the Lord. All right, so I'm going to go back to the message now because <laughs> we were talking about something. Uh, okay, so you have Aaron. You have Aaron, and, and he was part of the Levite tribe. So every priest that was going to serve God's people had to come through Aaron, had to come through that family line. And so when you look in the Old Testament and you look at the people working at the temple, you only see the Levites working in the temple. You only see the Levites working in the tabernacle, and that's because this is how God ordained it. In Numbers 3.10, it says, Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary is to be put to death. So God was pretty clear on this from the very beginning. He was very clear. This is it. It's Aaron and his sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and so on and so forth. They were the ones that were going to serve as priests. Anyone else who wanted to go into the holy place or the most holy place, they wouldn't survive it. It was, it was a special ordination just for this specific family line. So no one could approach God. Nobody but these specific Levites. No one had access to the present of God. Just Aaron, his family line. Now, imagine hearing Jesus is the high priest. Now, if you look at the book of Matthew in the first chapter, the, the Jewish Christians would have known this. They would have known the genealogy of Jesus, and they would have known that Jesus didn't come from the tribe of the Levites. He did not come from Aaron's line whatsoever. And so there's this huge question in their minds, the elephant in the room. How in the world is it possible for a non-Levite to be a high priest? And so the author of Hebrews has to start this whole conversation about Jesus being the high priest by helping them understand why it is that he's referring to Jesus as the high priest, how Jesus is the high priest, because they instantly have a block. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they're giving you really good information, but the first thing they said just caused you to just shut off the rest of the conversation? Because you're like, man, I, I heard the first thing you said. It wasn't factually accurate. So everything else you said, I'm not listening anymore. Have you ever done that to someone before, right? During a sermon when I'm preaching? I hope not. Put your hands back down, okay? You know, you're, you're talking to someone and they just, you're just off. You're just not a chance. Well, imagine you are one of these early Jewish Christians and you hear the author of Hebrews, you're reading this letter, and it says, Jesus is the high priest. Right off the bat, you have a block in your mind. You're saying, sorry, not possible. Everything else you're about to say, I can't listen to because you clearly don't understand how God set this up. And so he's now got to break this down for these people to explain, listen, Jesus is a different kind of priest, and I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how he's a different kind of priest. In fact, the priesthood of Jesus is actually a higher order than Aaron's priesthood. It's a better priesthood. And his priesthood has now replaced the Levitical priesthood. It's now replaced Aaron's priesthood. It's all about Jesus now. So listen up, you Christians. You can't go back to this old way. You can't go back to this law. Don't go back to where you have to go to the priest to make the sacrifice, to go to the altar, to get in the presence of God. Don't go back to that because there is a new priest in town and his name is Jesus. And this is the explanation we're going to get today, this better high priest. And so this question is out here lingering here in Hebrews chapter 4, even though Jesus is from a different high priest, how can he qualify? How can he qualify? 
Well, he still qualifies in every other way. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to actually, you got, this has got a two-parter. So you got to come back next week. Just whatever you do, try to come back to church next week. Because we're going to talk today, he's, he first starts out by this, this argument of, here is all of the qualifications. Here's the personalities. Here's the necessities. Here's what a high priest should act like. Here's the traits that a high priest should have. Jesus meets every single one of those. And he starts to build that common ground with his audience here. This is a great persuasive essay. Have you ever had to write a persuasive essay in school before? Yes, you've had to write a few? All right. So he's saying, look, all of the things that a high priest is, Jesus is. And then next week, we're going to look into this idea that now, now that you understand Jesus meets all those qualifications, now we're going to talk about this different order of high priests. All right, so we're building common ground today, and then next week he's going to come and he's just going to blow their minds about this high priesthood of Jesus. So let's get into Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, where we left off. I think last time we left off here in uh, 12 and 13 of Hebrews talking about the, the living word of God. And so here we go, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and then we'll jump to chapter 5. It says here, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let's go to chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was." So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, right? So he's, he's starting off by saying, look, look at all these things that a high priest was. Jesus is all those things. Jesus didn't make himself a high priest. God chose him and appointed him to be a high priest. And he says here, he's quoting out of the Psalms here, and we'll dig into this. Uh, Psalm 110, we'll look in this next week. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to look at Melchizedek very specifically and in depth next week. And so we'll pick up next week uh, in, at the end of chapter, actually at chapter 7, and, uh, and we'll get into to why that is. Um, there's a pause here in the text, in the argument, because the author of Hebrews is, gets really irritated for a moment. And he goes on this really long, like, sidebar on, you people are so frustrating that I have to explain this to you all over again. So you can read that on your own. I'm not going to preach that part next week. Uh, the rest of chapter 5 and, and 6, you can read this week. 
But let's dig into this text today. So he explains here that it's important for these priests to identify with the needs of the people they were representing. As they, as they intercede before God on behalf of people, they had to first go in and make a sacrifice for their own sin. And we looked at this last week. We talked about the Day of Atonement. The priests would have to go in, and because they were sinful, they'd have to make a sacrifice. Okay, God, this is for my sin. Now I'm going to go back out, and now I'm going to make, now that I'm good, we're good, right, God? We're okay? I'm not going to die? Great. Okay, so now I'm going to make a sacrifice for everyone else's sin. And this was the process, this understanding. And what the purpose of the, the priest making the sacrifice for themselves first was for humility, for the purpose of humility, so that priests could go in understanding, I am also weak and broken. I am also a sinner who is in need of grace. And so these priests, just like the people, they walked through difficulty. They walked through suffering. And because of that, they could be gentle, understanding, and compassionate priests. They weren't edgy, ticked off, irritable priests. Well, maybe they were, but they shouldn't have been because they were also sinners. They were also in need of grace. They weren't just this holier-than-thou club that would stand up there and say, what's wrong with all of you people? How come you can't? How come you can't? Have you ever been through a sermon like that that you just want to, you're just like dodging it the whole time? It's like a fire hydrant or you've heard this message. What is wrong with you and how dare you? Like that is not the message of the gospel. It is not a message of condemnation. It is a message that Jesus came and in our place he died so that we could come and be reconciled to God and become the righteousness of God. And so these priests understood that even back then. They weren't these loud, yelling, condemning priests. They understood the weakness. And in the same way, Jesus gets it. He identifies with us. He, he gets the trouble with suffering. He gets the trouble with weakness. He gets the trouble of temptation. And he represents us before the Father from a position of understanding, compassion, and empathy. And in our text today, we see three ways. Well, I just want to look at these three ways with you, three ways that Jesus identifies with us. And by identifying with us, he shares the characteristics of every high priest that went before him. He shares everything with us. You see, I, I, God, God did not just decide one day to, to turn to his son in heaven and to say, you know, could you just kind of say the magic spell and make this all go away? Like, could you imagine if God just decided from heaven, we, we would be relating to a God who doesn't understand what we're walking through. But he sent his son to this earth to walk through humanity. I'm sure that, you know, I, the Bible says that the son of man, Jesus said, has nowhere to lay his head, right? So you know Jesus slept on some gravel with a rock for a pillow. So you know like Jesus woke up with a lower back pain every once in a while, you know? He got it. He understood the human body and its limitations. And so let's look at these things in the text. The first we'll start toward the end of where we just read. Jesus understands our suffering. It says that Jesus suffered. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to one who was able to save him from death. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus suffered through the pain of crucifixion. And I don't need to go into all the details of that. As a, hopefully you've heard the story. If you've not heard the story of how Jesus died in your place, I'd love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to share with you the, the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you. 
But we read as Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, as he walked through the pain of crucifixion, it was a torturous death. And Jesus had witnessed it. He had seen it. He knew what it was. He knew that if you were going to die by way of crucifixion, then you were going to suffocate to death slowly. You were going to bleed to death slowly. It wasn't going to be just a quick method of execution. It was a painful one. And so we see that Jesus in the garden, he pleaded with the Father. He pleaded, God, is there any way out of this? You know, Jesus knew what it was that he was sent to do. He knew his assignment, and yet there was something within him. There was something, this anguish in his body. He knew the pain that he was about to walk through, and he went to the Father, and he said, okay, God, last chance. If you can come up with another plan, I'd be really grateful. If you could just come up with some other way. Could you imagine being in that place? Do you think you would have the exact same prayer that Jesus would have? Okay, God, last chance. I'd like a way out, please. I'm going to give you one last chance, God. All right, God, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a quarter. <laughs> I watched some of you parent your kids. Two, just, sorry, that was a little blow. Anyway, just tell them what you want them to do and make them do it. Okay, Jesus is there going, God, come on. There's got to be a way out. There's got to be a way out got to be a way out. He endured that pain and that suffering of the cross. He suffered the pain and the weight of sin placed upon him. The Bible tells us that as he hung on the cross, he felt the weight of humanity. You ever felt the weight of your sin before? You know, you just, you sin and it's just like, imagine feeling the weight of sin for everybody combined. Imagine that feeling. Imagine how horrible that had to fill. In Luke 24, 46, Jesus told his disciples, he said, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He suffered. And he didn't just suffer from physical pain. He didn't just suffer from the, the weight of sin. He suffered from rejection. You ever been rejected before? Some, one, one of the people who he looked to at one point and said, you are so important to me that the future of what I'm going to do on this earth, the church, I'm going to build it through you, Peter. And Peter rejected him and denied him. He suffered that rejection. In fact, we see in the Gospels uh, where, where Peter denies him for the third time and we see he looks up and makes eye contact with Jesus. He's denied him. He suffered betrayal at the hands of Judas, one of his disciples who he'd been pouring his life into. For years, some of you have experienced that. You've poured your life into someone for year after year after year after year. I've, known, I've experienced it before. You pour your life into someone. You mentor them. You train them. And then on the way out, they tell everybody they know how horrible you are. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, a friend. He suffered in sorrow when his friend, when his friend died. Lazarus died. He suffered in that. It says that Jesus wept. He cried. He felt the pain. He knew tears. He was trying to pray and seek God right before he was crucified. And he turns to his disciples and he says, will you just stay awake with me? And would you just seek God with me? And they couldn't stay awake. Don't you know what I'm about to go through? And, and they just abandoned him. 
in, the, in his hardest hour. This is the suffering that Jesus walked through. In Isaiah 53, 3, there's a, a prophecy that describes exactly what happened to Jesus. It says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah, the one who God sent to save the world, he was despised, he was held in low esteem, he was mocked, he suffered. And we all experience suffering at some level as humanity. I want you to know Jesus understands your suffering. He relates to your suffering he has literally walked through it in some capacity. We say, Jesus can't possibly understand what I'm going through. He can't possibly understand the suffering. Jesus has never experienced gas prices at $5 a gallon. He can't understand the tears that come down my face when the pump shots, shuts off and it hasn't even filled my car up yet. Well, the Bible says that the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless at times, okay? So he understands the pain of having nothing. There was a time in which he had to pay, they had to pay a tax at the temple, and he had to send his disciples out to go catch some fish that had somehow miraculously coins in their mouth. Look, he gets it. He gets scavenging for the very little amount. He understands suffering, all right? Jesus also understands your weakness, so he understands the hard things that you walk through, but he also understands that we're limited by flesh. Jesus was limited by his flesh. This is, he decided to take on flesh, and we see in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh. Do you know that Jesus couldn't just teleport back and forth to heaven for a timeout? Can you imagine what that would be like? Some of you in your life right now, you need a timeout, and so what do you do? You go lock yourself in the bathroom, and you just you turn on the fan and you just say, nobody talk to me. Nobody, and they knock on the door. And, I'll be another two hours. Right? Yeah, exactly. You just need a timeout. Imagine if you're Jesus on this earth and you're dealing with what everybody, like you created the earth and you're walking this earth with a bunch of numbskulls. Can you imagine how great it would be to just teleport to heaven? And be like, God, can I get a timeout? Just give me a day off. I need one day off. He couldn't even go to pray. He tried to get alone to pray and everybody followed him. And we're like, we need more miracles. We need more healing. And, and by the way, we, didn't, we forgot our lunch. So could you just feed all 5,000 of us while you're at it? Like Jesus really could have used a timeout, but he didn't get one. He understood weakness. He understood the physical effects of fasting. It says that he fasted regularly. He knew what it was like. He experienced physical exhaustion on several occasions. Just practically in John 4, we see as he was coming to um, Samaria, and he, he ministered to this woman at the well there, which he just needed a break, by the, t by the way. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Jesus had just walked a long way. He was physically worn out. He understood the weakness of this flesh, and in his weakness, he's sitting there, catching his breath, going, my goodness, that was a long walk. And along comes someone, and the father speaks to him and says, I want you to minister to that woman right now. What, what are you doing in that moment? Like, do you pretend? Like, do you just sit there? Oh, I didn't see you. I was asleep. Like, he's tired. Okay, God, I'm going to miss. The weakness that he understood in his body. He experienced, I love this story about Jesus. He, there was a time where he was so hungry, 
He was so hungry, and he walks past a fig tree, and there's no, it was in fruit-bearing season. There was supposed to be fruit on it, and there was none. And he goes to get a fig off the tree, and they're all, it's, it's done nothing. It hasn't done its job. And Jesus turns to the fig tree and says, curse you tree, you'll never produce fruit again. This is evidence that Jesus too was hangry in his life. It's right there in scripture. I'm telling you what. I don't know. I, there's no other explanation that I can come up with. And Jesus was angry. There's, I, there's no reason to curse a fig tree. Like, it's just a tree. It didn't do anything wrong. All right? It was the farmer's fault, whatever it was. But Jesus was angry. I'm sorry. He, was fr- he understood frustration. He understood irritation. He had to deal with faithless, faithless people. He would go to places and he would say things like, how much longer do I have to put up with you faithless people? And it wasn't, he just, it wasn't just he had a bad attitude. He just understood, he got the flesh. He understood the emotion. He had to deal with corruption in God's house. He goes into his father's house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. And all of these merchants had set up all these tables where they're, they're selling stuff and they're taking advantage of people. They're charging way high prices. It was like when you go to the airport, and the salad is 14 bucks, and it should be two, right? It was like that in the temple. And people are like, I just need to buy a pigeon for the sacrifice, and can I pay for this pigeon? It should be $3. And it's like, no, that's 30 And Jesus went, he flipped over their tables, and he totally wigged out on them. And he says, and by the way, it says it was righteous anger. This is my father's house. This is to be a house of player, but you set it up like a den of thieves. And he understood it all of it. He had to deal with argumentative people. He's just trying to heal someone. And they're like, you're violating the Sabbath. How dare you do something good for someone else? That's work. And Jesus, can you imagine Jesus? Do you not realize that just saying to someone be healed isn't work for me? I made all of this, right? So he had to deal with all of this ignorance and all this stuff. His physical body and his physical mind experienced weakness, And he says in Hebrews 4.15, he's able to sympathize with our weakness. Now, all of that stuff is honestly as humorous as all of that is. The next time you're having a bad day, just remember, Jesus, he's had a bad day too. He gets it. He's walked through the physical limitations of being a human on this earth. Finally, we see that Jesus understood temptation. We understood temptation, it tells us here in our scripture. It says that in every respect he has been tempted in verse 15 of Hebrews 4. Can you imagine one of the greatest times of your life? One of the highs of your life. You ever had like just the best day of your life and then temptation comes and hits you in that moment? Jesus has, has just been water baptized He's been baptized in water. He comes to John. He says, John, I need you to baptize. I need you to baptize me. And, and he, he goes under the water. He comes out, and there's a voice from heaven. says, this is my son whom I love. There's a, you see the Holy Spirit of God descend like, like a dove and land and, and rest upon Jesus. He's anointed for his ministry. And it says, right after that, he went out into the desert for 40 days where he was tempted by Satan. For 40 days. Mark 1.13, he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. That's kind of a bummer right after you get baptized. 
He was tempted in every way. It says here, in, when I said in Hebrews 4.15, in every respect he has been tempted. The, the Greek in this verse literally says that he has been tempted, tested, tried, examined un, under pressure in all ways like us. In all ways like us. You might say, but Jesus didn't live in 2022. Can I tell you something? The devil hasn't invented new ways to tempt us. They just look different. They're just distorted. There's, there's maybe some extra creativity that's in there. Or there's more resources. You realize this, there's more resources in our life. Well, man, there's, we've got things in our life that we didn't have 100 years ago. Think about technology and the advances. Well, that's just one more tool now to tempt people. But the method's the same. The, the strategy's the same. It's to lie. It's to deceive. It's to, it's to trick. It's to make you believe that there's a better offer out there that's going to get you something. It's an offer of quick results. It's instant gratification. Skip the hard way. Take the easy way. It's all the same. It's just different stuff presented. And Jesus walked through all of it. If you read through the temptations of Jesus, what you'll realize is, is it's the same three tricks that the devil tries. Jesus has been tempted. But unlike us, he was able to overcome on every single occasion. He never gave in. Jesus never gave in to temptation. So really, in practice, he endured way more suffering than you did and than I did because he refused to yield to the temptation and he had to stay with that pressure of that temptation on him. If you've ever been in a place in your life where you've tempted and then you give in to that temptation and you sin, there's that initial kind of relief of like, okay, I don't have to resist this thing anymore. And then later comes the shame and the guilt. But there's that moment where that temptation is so strong and you're like, I've got to resist, I've got to resist. And it's harder to just stick that out. But Jesus never gave in. He didn't yield to temptation. And so Jesus has firsthand understanding of how strong the forces are that come against humans and how weak we are apart from God. In every way, he can relate to those he represents to the Father. All of that to say, all of that to say, the author of Hebrews now comes back and says, look, Jesus too is a relatable high priest. In fact, he would even say, I would even argue even more relatable of a high priest than those who just served all their time in the temple. They maybe didn't interact with the world at the same level. The, the high priests at the time that served Israel, they didn't have to argue all the time with people. They didn't have people coming up to them and saying, you're incorrect, you're wrong, you're doing it the wrong way. No, people were too afraid of God to do that. And so Jesus had to deal with all these things. He's so relatable. He was such an awareness of his own flesh as he walked through temptation and suffering. And in turn, he can treat us with compassion and understanding. And it says that he brings us to the throne of grace where we find mercy. I want you to know that Satan wants to discourage you in your life from approaching the throne of grace. Satan wants to, again, twist it and make you believe, well, it's not really the throne of grace, it's the throne of judgment. It's the throne of you're not enough. It's the throne of God's perfect and you're far from it. But no, he says, no, this is the throne of grace that Jesus brings us to. He wants you to 
consider, Satan does, that Jesus is unapproachable. How could you possibly pray right now? If God knew what you did, maybe not today, but if God knew what you did 10 years ago, he would never listen to your prayer. Some of you have believed these kind of lies in your life. That Jesus is unapproachable. That the perfection of Jesus is just so beyond your imperfection. That God will never understand this mess that you're in because he's God. And yet, somehow, Jesus does understand. He does understand the mess of humanity. He walked and mentored disciples who were so human, who made so many mistakes, who even though he explained it a hundred ways, they still ask more questions. He gets it. He understands what it's like. And so here's the deal, church. As you go to God, don't allow shame or fear to keep you from the throne of grace. You cannot allow shame in your life to keep you from the throne of grace. You cannot allow fear in your life. What will God do? How will God judge me? Will God accept me? Will God hear my prayer? Don't let that keep you. Don't allow your weaknesses or your limitations to put limitations on God and His forgiveness. Don't tell God, God, I know you possibly couldn't forgive me for, insert your own blank. Because in that moment, you're saying to God, God, you are unrelatable. God, you can't possibly understand. Church, allow Jesus, the high priest, to lead you to the grace and mercy of God. And it is such a joy when you make a decision to go to the Lord, and what happens is you discover that you find mercy instead of condemnation. That you would expect in your mind that if, if you were to, to do something to, to violate another human or to betray a trust of another human, what you expect to get is condemnation. What you expect to get is anger and bitterness. And yet when we go to God, we get His mercy. And every single one of us is in need of His mercy. No one's excluded. You can be the greatest person. You can have the highest IQ. You can be so nice. You can hold the door open for everybody that you've ever met. You could drive the speed limit perfectly every single time. I mean, you could be like the perfect, nice human being. And I'm going to tell you something. You need a mercy of God still. You need His mercy. We all need His mercy. But we don't just need His mercy. We need His help. We need His help. We need help from someone who understands us. We need help from someone who doesn't condemn us. We need His help. See, Jesus doesn't just not condemn us. He actually helps us. He actually assists us. Let Jesus help you in your times of need. I, I want us to make a full circle. If you're in a place in your life in which you're dealing with this shame or saying, I can't go to Jesus, and you're just avoiding him. I want you to do the exact opposite thing. Not only go to him, but go to him and say, Jesus, I need you to help me right now. I need you, I don't just receive your mercy, I receive your help to come to God. I receive your help to enter the presence of God. It says in Hebrews 2, verse 18, all the way back in Hebrews 2 at the beginning of this book, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Church, Jesus can help you in your weakness. He can help you in your need. He can help you in your shame. He can help you in your suffering. 
And some of you are, are sitting here thinking, oh, come on, pastor, I don't live my life with shame. Awesome. I don't have guilt. Great. That's so good. But in some form, many of us do because we believe things like, well, God couldn't use me. I don't know. I mean, I don't have the gifts or the skills or, or you know, my past is kind of my past. And if people knew, they wouldn't listen to me. I, I mean, I believe God loves me and accepts me and I can go to the Lord in prayer. But, you know, there's a level and you put this limitation on that's that's hanging on to that shame still. That's still hanging on to that condemnation. That's still believing that some way, somehow, God sees you as less than. That God just possibly couldn't get it. And yet he sent his son to get it. He sent his son to walk through all of the things that you walked through. God is not an angry God, an unrelatable God. So many people avoid God because they believe he's unrelatable and he's angry. Has anyone ever said that to you? Maybe you've believed it for yourself. But Jesus, he wants to take you by the hand. This is the kind of high priest that he is. That he takes us by the hand. And he looks you in the eyes in the middle of whatever pain, suffering, guilt, weakness that you're in. And he says, it's okay, I get it. I get it. I get what you're walking through. I get it. Now, will you just come with me to the throne of God's grace? Will you just, will you just come with me and let me just lead you to his mercy and let it heal you? Will you just take my hand and will you come into the throne room of God and will you accept the fact that I understand what you're walking through and I understand that you're weak. I understand you're not perfect. It's okay. I'm here to help. And would you take his hand in the middle of this place that you're in and would you bring it to him? Would you bring your pain to him? Would you bring your suffering? Would you bring your hurt? Would you bring your sin? Would you bring your guilt? Would you bring it all to Jesus? Knowing that he gets it. That he is not a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he is one who we can connect to and hold on to in our hardest times. When there was no one else. When there was no one else. When you're walking through a pain that no one else can know. And the comforts of other people don't cut it. You can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that somehow, some way, you get it. Even if Jesus, this maybe this exact, very specific circumstance didn't happen in the exact same way, I know that your heart gets it, understands pain, understands where I'm at. Let's take a hold of the hand of Jesus, the high priest who understands, and let's let him lead us to the throne of grace this morning. Would you stand with me? If you've got places in your own life where you're struggling today to overcome your own weakness, maybe you're stuck with something, a habit, an addiction, a pattern, a, whatever it happens to be, and you're saying, I have this weak area in my life and I just can't seem to overcome it. The perfect one to come to is Jesus. If you've got shame, sin, temptation, whatever it happens to be, 
I want to encourage you this morning that in your mind, if you just close your eyes for a moment and just see the hand of Jesus reached out to you and looks you in the eyes and says, it's okay, I get it. Let's go to the throne of God. Let's go to the throne of God in weakness and in temptation and in suffering and all the things and let's receive help. Let's allow the Father's heart to help us through this thing. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you are relatable. We thank you that you get it. We thank you, Lord, that you come and you meet us in these places where we suffer. You meet us in these places that you have not abandoned us. Those places where we look even over our life and say, Jesus, where were you? Show us right now in this moment, Jesus. Show us your heart in that moment. Show us your hand upon our lives as you have guided us to this place, to this day, Lord. Would you meet us in our weakness? Meet us where we're not strong enough. Give us strength in suffering. Give us strength in the middle of temptation. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you get it, that you are with us and that you are for us. And we come with you today. We enter to the altar in the holy place. And we meet with the presence of the Almighty God because you have led us there with compassion and with grace and with understanding. So we come to you now. Hallelujah. In your name, Jesus. Amen.